Welcome to episode 28, where I'm here in person with Steph. Have another recording sesh going. We're at, we're up north. Uh, we're in a cabin I'm staying at. It's pretty, uh, we got some nice ambiance here. There was just a boat that passed, so like, sorry about it. You might hear a boat. Yeah, there <laughs> won't be, you know, random ba- balcony rattling. Mm-mm. It will be random boat noises. It'll be country noises. A boat, maybe a dog barking. Who knows what else? It'll be yeah. a surprise. In the last episode when we were recording, we had to pause because it was Canada Day. And oh, yeah. um, the uh, Kia started lighting fireworks off, which is like right in front of my building. <laughs> so we were like, okay, I guess we'll pause and just go watch the fireworks show. We'll just take a little break. And it was a needed break because that was a long episode. How are you feeling, Steph? Are you happy to be here? Yes, thrilled. I'm, I'm happy you're visiting me. So it's... You know, it's been a good week. It's been so much fun. Yeah. All the fishing, you outfished us all. <laughs> we went fishing one day. Um, your boy, should I say, is he okay if I say Lando? Oh, yeah. Okay. Lando took us out. We went fishing, got some lake trout, which I have to remind him to send me the pictures of. Yep. Yes, we'll send those to you. Oh, we got some nice lake trout. And then we went out the next day for um, pike, walleye, mm-hmm. we had a shore lunch. You caught us lunch. You caught us all those walleye. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. It's amazing. It was my first time out in the boat this year, so. It was so much fun. Yeah. And then, yeah, because Lando's like a survivor man out there. So he's like, <laughs> I'll make you shore lunch. Lights a fire. Makes us lunch right there. Yeah, Fresh fish. It's really good. I had the best potatoes I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. Those are so good. So flavorful. Oh, my God. I don't know what it is. But it's yeah, a shore lunch, it just tastes better. He makes the best potatoes. And fish. Never have I had fish that, like, is that fresh. Like, you yeah. catch it and you eat it. Yeah, I never liked fish when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Remember, mom would try to trick me and say that they were chicken fingers. It's they chicken were fish fingers. sticks. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I did not like fish. But I also had never had fresh fish. Like, mm-hmm. we never actually... We didn't do too many outdoors things. No. As not, kids like that. Especially like, not fishing for fish you can mm-hmm. eat. Yeah. So I just... That was a new experience, you know, to, to have fresh fish, like, right there on the water. You catch it yourself. Um, so, yeah, oh, that's a, definitely a new lifestyle up here since we've moved here. That um, It's so nice. Yeah. And having a, a boyfriend that is a fishing guide has taught me so much that way. You know, mm-hmm. ever since he's gotten into that, he's introduced me to so many things and it's, it's amazing. It's cool because it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Like, and... It's your whole life when you're doing it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. It was amazing to go out there with him. And he's a good cook. So I, I'm so lucky that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just for when he started getting to this, of course, first it was like, you what, you're going to be a fishing guide? Like, I'm not prepared for this. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a whole different life when you move to northern Ontario, mm-hmm. northwestern Ontario. Um you know, so I had to come with him and see what it was about. I was like, hey, you and I are in this for the long haul together. Let's do it. You want to, you know, try out this lifestyle. And so we were apart for quite a bit while he was yeah, starting out living this kind of um, dream. Like, mm-hmm. it's a dream job. So to for us to both move up here and, yeah, I lived up here last year, too, for a bit. So now I'm we actually moved here full time. Yeah, didn't so. come here just for, like, the summer or the season or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that we're still in the same province, but it was, like, a total of, like, 22 hours to get here. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. it's the same province. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were in the States, we would have driven through, like, 
in 22 hours i don't know depending on what coast you're on but you could have hit up like so many states yeah but you would cover so much more it would it seems like mm -hmm. so the fact that you drive all that way and you're like oh my god i'm still in ontario yeah. i'm so happy you could come up here and see me because i know when orlando moved up here that first time it was such an experience for him and and the peace that he told me about when you're away from the city mm -hmm. i i was very like intrigued by that so i've learned so much since moving here about that and i'm it happy is... you guys could come see me and, i'm like, so happy to mm -hmm. be here and it is cool to be here because you have like already you, you live up here now but like you said last year you were here and when you when you talked about things like you know the lodge where he works or like where you would stay or going into town and stuff and like the picture from talking to you about it the picture i've painted mm -hmm. and then like actually being up here i'm like oh shit that's what she was talking about yeah i see it now i can see it all so yeah, yeah it's just so cool and yeah it's been a great a great visit up here yeah, um, and it's cool that we it. can record together now. Got yeah. your equipment. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll hold up all the equipment. Mm -hmm. We're set up in the cabin on this perfect table, actually. It's nice and tall, and it's got the lip so that it holds our stands, our mic stands. Yeah, it's pretty good. And Dyson's set us up and left us somewhere, so <laughs> I know that if he was here, he would say, just hit space bar for pause. <laughs> so if we need to pause, I'll hit space bar. Hit space bar. <laughs> all right. Okay, so yes that's uh what we're doing it's exciting that we're in person it is just different it's it's easier just the chemistry is different when you're just right here mm -hmm. and it worked fine when we did it online but it was a hell of a time getting it set up because it's new for in. me oh yeah i forgot about that which never happened so we were like just don't pause keep we your did. recording we set going up the, like yeah. um just the emergency plan of like just in case Nothing should happen, but if it does, don't touch anything. Just let it just yeah. let it run out. And we did. Yeah, it worked out. So, like I said, this is episode 28. This will be the last episode of July. It's um, hard to keep track because we did pre-record yep. a bunch of episodes. Yeah, that's weird. So, this is going to come out at the end of July. Right now, it's the middle of July, which is weird to be so on top of it. But it's also nice. So before we get uh, right into it, I just wanted to remind everybody that we do have patches, the beautiful iron-on patches. You can go on social media. We have a, a store on Instagram and on Facebook, Dark Adaptation Podcast. You can go through there or you can go on our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca, and we have a little shop. So if Dyson were here, this is when he'd say, yeah, support a little indie pod, get an indie pod patch, collect them all, put them on a vest. He'd say something like that. <laughs> so yeah, support a pod. Go out, buy your, buy your pod patch today. Pod patch. Pod patches are plenty. Buy one. They're beautiful. Thank you. And then also before we start... The, it's the last episode of July, which means mm. at the end we will announce our schedule for August. So stay tuned to hear what's in store for us next month. Already talking about August and we're only halfway through July. I know it's weird. It's weird to think about. Oh my God. All right. So Steph, when we did episode 23, we talked about Robert Raymond Cook and you had mentioned that you enjoyed the Halifax Explosion series. You mm -hmm. said that you'd be interested in looking at the chart of the day because you were like, oh, it doesn't always have to be the chart of a person, mm -hmm. like a birth chart. It can be just a chart for the day. Yeah. So I, I told you like, okay, I'd look up some other sort of disasters or tragedies or whatever, and then we could talk about it. So that's what I did for this episode. 
So are you ready to hear what is in store for you this week? I think so. <laughs> I'm excited to do an event. Will be cool. All right, I'll give you just a quick little synopsis of what you're in store for. The Johnstown Flood, known locally as the Great Flood of 1889, occurred on Friday, May 31st, 1889, after the catastrophic failure of the South Fork Dam. The dam ruptured after several days of extremely heavy rainfall, releasing billions of gallons of water, causing millions of dollars in damages, and killing thousands of people, all in a matter of 65 minutes. That is insane so i've looked at the day um i cast it at 8 a.m of may 31st 1889 because i had asked you earlier this week hey hey when was that yes so i've taken it a little look-see and <laughs> uh noted some things which was cool because we were actually kind of like brief having a little debriefing sesh about this beforehand yeah you print it out and you get your pens out you, yeah you do the little color your lines differently so you can see at what jumps out at the most to me and I kind of look through those things. So there was a few things and we were sitting out back and I just was like, hey, this is what I see. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy because already things were just... As we were talking about yeah. it, I was like, well, that's bizarre that you picked up on this very strong, you know, aspect or conjunction because uh, wait till you hear about that. Yeah. It is. Yep. It is uh, when we were sitting out there. You're like, wait a minute did this happen over a few days? Mm -hmm. And I was like, it did. It was over several days. And you're like, I can see that here. Also, yeah. was there like, you know, some miscommunication? And I was like, yes, there was. Yeah. It's crazy what you can see in the chart. Yes. As soon as you had told me about the flood and um, the dam breaking and such, mm -hmm. I went, ooh, I am immediately thinking of Mercury and how maybe there was something that just like a little bit of something that didn't get through. Right. And yeah, we're going to get into it. The wrong thing got through. Yeah. That's not funny. All right, so you know where you are, you know who I am, you know how I write. So it's time for a little bit of history. Everyone, textbooks open. <laughs> history 101 for Johnstown. So the city of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, was founded in 1800 by Swiss immigrant Joseph Johns, where, uh, where the Stony Creek and Little Connemaw Rivers joined to form the Connemaw River. So this town is like, um, starting at an intersection, almost, it's like a... Um, yeah, like an intersection, what do they call it? A, like, junction. Oh, yeah. Where these rivers meet. That's where they put, they uh, founded Johnstown. Johnstown, I'm going to, ugh. We're going to be listening back, and I'm going to have said Jonestown at least once, but it's <laughs> Johnstown. When the Pennsylvania Main Line Canal was built in 1836, the city began to prosper. Between 1838 and 1853, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania built the South Fork Dam, and they built it 450 feet above Johnstown as part of a cross-state canal system. The dam was built on Lake Conema, which was two miles long, one mile wide, and 60 feet deep near the dam. So not a huge lake, but a pretty good like reservoir to hold all this water. 
The dam itself was 72 feet high and 319 feet long. Is that large for a dam? I It's... Yes. It's pretty large. I don't know too much about them, so trying to picture it, you're putting it into perspective in your head, and it sounds huge. Mm -hmm. To me, that sounds giant. But then I'm like, is that big for a dam? It's a good size. It is a pretty tall dam, especially for this time. It's like a pretty big feat to be building a dam that's, you know, like 72 feet high. Yeah. So yeah, not like anything crazy. We're not talking about like the Hoover Dam, but it's... For the 18... Mm -hmm. 1800s it's it's pretty good it's a good size dam especially for this area too where it's just these little towns and it's a big dam for this lake too um it's it's uh pretty large and containing this body of water by the 1850s construction of the pennsylvania railroad and the cambria ironworks were underway by 1889 johnstown's industries had attracted numerous welsh and german immigrants so with a population of 30,000, it was a growing industry community known for the quality of its steel. Oh, okay. So that kind of goes back to when I was like, hey, did they make steel back then when I was talking to Tyson? Yeah, and we were, because <laughs> there are elements that Ptolemy believed were linked with planets that mm-hmm. we were, I was asking Brie about, hey, what, what was the dam made out of? I'm just curious. I wonder if there was maybe some of those elements that Ptolemy believed were connected. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. Um, Ptolemy, yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. It's just one of those names. Like I know. The P, you're like, eh, what do I do? I think you ignore it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just ignore yeah, it. Yeah, let's forget it's there. <laughs> um, so we were trying to figure out, okay, like where does steel come from? Which was iron, right? We yes. determined this was iron, which is connected with Saturn. Mm-hmm. So we were just kind of like creepy, but yes. we were going through that that um anyway it's just so much just i should talk about it more like because like you said we were talking about this before we even started recording just trying to like just grasp everything make sure you have all these little nuances so the more you talk about it you're like wait there's steel involved oh planets have like sort of rule over different minerals or alloys or Mm -hmm. whatever will this give something an extra Mm -hmm. little extra oomph and in this case it does so yeah just remember that cambria ironworks is um known for its quality of steel make some good steel the high steep hills of the narrow Kanama valley and the allegheny mountains to the east kept the development of johnstown close to the riverfront areas and it being in a valley there was a large amount of runoff from rain and snowfall which resulted in the area surrounding the city to be prone to flooding so it's already not an ideal spot just for normal rain normal snowfall melt in the spring when everything's melting it, it you get a little bit of flooding so it's prone this and the and the problem with flooding was amplified because upstream there was an extensive drainage basin from a plateau in the allegheny mountains and adding to these factors slag from the iron furnaces of the steel mills was dumped along the river to create more land for building okay so where this area and the water is already like right there in in like in the town basically these buildings are already like right on top of the river but then they needed to access the water for their industries so they essentially extended the land and built even closer to the water wow so it just 
That's a huge project. <laughs> yes, and it wasn't ideal because it was already an area prone to flooding. Okay. And they just weren't, they didn't get it or they didn't care. So they were still building in this area where it's like, okay, but in the spring that's going to flood. Interesting. And in case you're wondering what slag is, it's just stony waste matter that's separated from metals when they're um, like refining the ore and st- stuff like okay. that. Okay. In the foundry. I made an error before. Mars is iron. Mars, Mars is iron. Mars okay. iron. Not Saturn. Just, I have to put that out there. Yes. Now. I'm like, I said Saturn. It's Mars. Mars is iron and iron helps make steel. And we were, yep. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you just got to throw in a little correction. We're not perfect. And I mean, we were talking about a lot of stuff. A lot of planets about <laughs> the tango that Mars and Saturn were having here. The tango for real. So I just had to correct that while. Well, I'm glad you did because <laughs> I am already offended that you were wrong. <laughs> Someone out there is like, I've read about that and I know. <laughs> um, you're wrong. But listen, she's right now. So get over it. So yeah, like I was saying about like the artificial narrowing of the riverbed um, to like build more. It obviously just left the city even more flood prone. Yeah. Because like, dude, it already floods. Why are you doing this? You're not helping yourself. Try and help yourself. So the Connemaw River immediately downstream of Johnstown is hemmed in by steep mountainsides for about 10 miles. A roadside plaque alongside Pennsylvania Route 56, which follows the river, proclaims that this stretch of valley is the deepest river gorge in North America east of the Rocky Mountains. Holy! So this is an intense gorge that Johnstown is sitting at the bottom of. So So the elevation in general is very low here. Yes, okay. where Johnstown is. And then if you just think of Johnstown being at the very bottom, yeah, and then you just kind of stagger up a cliffside, mm-hmm. essentially. And as you exit this gorge, or as you get elevated in this gorge, is where the dam is situated. And yep. then there's multiple like reservoirs, basins to hold water. And this river that's coming through this gorge touches on a couple different little towns Interesting. until it reaches Johnstown at the very bottom where the it's the junction city yeah. where these other rivers are meeting. So okay. it's a very watery area, very steep area. It's, it's in mountainous terrain. It sounds dangerous. Yeah. Like it doesn't sound ideal. It's not um, ideal, especially in Pennsylvania where you have normal seasons, you have yeah. a winter, you have rainfall, snow, natural Fine. runoff in yeah. the spring. It's it's a wet area. Interesting. You painted an awesome visual of this place. Thank you. That's why I do this history to just like, I'll set the scene for you. I'll let you know the mindset of the people, why they were building here, where they built, what what the scene is, because we're doing an audio only medium. Yep. So you have to at least kind of be able to picture it with us. And yeah, that the fact that there's that roadside plaque that's like, this is the... The stretch valley is the deepest river gorge in North America, east of the Rocky Mountains. I don't know what's west of it. What would be the deepest? I'm also not American, but (laughs) east of the Rocky Mountains. Also, it's funny to say the Allegheny Mountains because in the episode that would have come out last week, that technically hasn't come out yet because we're recording early, is um, West Virginia and there's something we talk about in that episode, the Trans-Allegheny Mental Institution, I think it was called. Asylum. An asylum. 
Trans-Allegheny Asylum. Back when they were called asylums. <laughs> yes. And it's like this creepy haunted ass asylum in West Virginia and Allegheny because of the mountains. It's weird how things kind of come full circle or like reach back to other stuff you've talked about. I've talked about. <laughs> I just had a moment there with myself. <laughs> so now that I've set that scene and painted that picture, it brings us into the next part. As I mentioned, railroads were being built and they began to supersede canal transport. So mm -hmm. all these dams and these like man-made canals and stuff, they were like nice to have, but now you've got railroads and locomotives. Yeah. So they were like, let's use this. This is so much easier. So the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania abandoned the canal, including the dam and the lake, and they sold it off to Pennsylvania Rail Railroad, who in turn sold it to quote-unquote private interests. Okay, then. So basically the city didn't want this dam this canal, this lake, they had no reason for it because they were going to stick with railroads now. Yeah. And they sold it to, like, Joe Blow, who wants it. I wonder if you're still allowed to do that. Because I was kind of, you know, who knows who's buying it if they know how to maintain things properly. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if, you know, today you can't just go out and, and buy, buy a dam. Yeah, like, oh, we don't need it anymore. Does anyone want it? Like, no. <laughs> that just, that sounds so wrong. I hope that you can't do that. And if private interests nowadays is a thing, obviously, but it's like, oh, okay, you're qualified. Yes. To you have to have a, re like, you can't just go and buy that. You're not Come just on. Joe Blow who's like, I could use a dam. <laughs> and they're like, sure, here you go. Sold. Wow. Interesting, right? Yeah, health and safety back then, I just feel like, was not a thing. No, there like, was no five-minute rule, not five-second rule. Yeah. So, a group of Pittsburgh speculators, led by a man named Henry Clay Frick, purchased the abandoned reservoir with plans to modify it and convert it into a private resort lake for wealthy business associates. So this is the private interest. These rich-ass men who liked the area mm -hmm. and essentially just wanted to make a resort yeah. for other rich-ass men. So development, including lowering the dam to make it to make its top wide enough to hold a road and put in a fish screen in the spillway. Okay. Um, that was some of the alterations that they started making to this dam. They uh, these alterations are thought to have increased the vulnerability of the dam. And then adding to the vulnerability, a system of relief pipes and valves from the dam had been sold off for scrap, and they were never replaced. So the resort had no way of lowering the water level if the lake um, started, if the water levels in the lake started to increase, they had no way to lower it if there was an emergency because they didn't even have these parts anymore. That is so irresponsible. It is insane. This is why yes. private interest should not buy a dam. This is what opened our conversation into elements where yes. I was like, okay, wait, did they sell something that was made out of like mm -hmm. one of the elements? What was the material? Would you know what it was? Yes. And yeah, and so it brought us to... And in this case, the relief pipes and valves. That so is... literally the entire system that would control... The, uh, the amount of water that it's holding. Yeah. Irresponsible. On Lake Kahnema, near the site of the old dam, the Pittsburgh speculators built cottages and a clubhouse to create the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club. Did they use the uh, money from the scrap parts for that? 
<laughs> I know, right? I wish we knew who bought scrap parts because it just said that they were sold off. So I don't know if they were sold off before the speculators bought them. Yeah. Or if it was the speculators that sold them. And if if it were, like, those records are gone and buried. And no they one's going to... They buried yeah. anyway because this is a bunch of rich men. Yep. So, yeah, they built the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club. That's a mouthful. I'm just going to say South Fork Club for short because <laughs> I will mention it again. Okay. So it was uh, going to be, like, this exclusive and private mountain retreat and membership grew to include more than 50 wealthy steel, coal, and railroad industrialists. Okay. So it was just like hoity-toity rich businessmen. Mm -hmm. And they were the only ones that were allowed at this really fancy club. Yeah. That didn't they were probably pumped because they were like, oh, cool, a club here in Pennsylvania. Right at the top we can, of the like, yeah. gorge, you're in the mountains, you already have this lake because it's fucking a reservoir essentially a basin for water at a dam yeah but they were like we can stock it with fish we can block the where the dam would usually release water we can block it with this screen so that it, the fish don't just fly out it's like great we'll lower the walls we'll make all these changes so it looks they nicer. were only thinking of their own interests here yes they were yeah they were thinking what will look good what will attract other wealthy people and who will want to spend their time here yeah not the fact that this was literally a dam built for a reason. And just the fact that it was missing parts is insane. So now we'll get into the events of the flood. So on May 28, 1889, a low pressure area formed over Nebraska and Kansas. And by the time this weather pattern reached Western Pennsylvania two days later, it had developed into the heaviest rainfall event ever recorded in that part of America. Wow. So earlier when you had been saying like, is this something that could have been happening over several days? It was like the result of this rainfall was this pressure system that had just been building and building and growing and moving and it finally migrated over top of pennsylvania mm -hmm. where it was just the most rain any part of that the country had seen that is so intense the united states army signal corps which is a branch of the u.s army that creates and manages the communications and like the information system like okay this is going to be a really heavy rainfall so get ready so that branch of it estimated that six to ten inches of rain fell in 24 hours over the region which is a fuck ton of rain because usually you get like you know 10 20 millimeters if there's a lot of rain yeah but this was six to ten inches of rain that is extreme it's like I said, like the yeah. most rainfall ever recorded in that area. I like, think it's hard to comprehend like how much that is unless you've been in a storm where you've gotten like 60 millimeters, mm -hmm. which is a lot. Exactly. That's a lot of water. We had flooding here from about that getting that much in like a big storm over like a few days. Mm -hmm. So to have inches of water, six to 10 inches. That's yeah. Fucking crazy. So during the night, in Pennsylvania, so after it had moved up to Pennsylvania, during the night, small creeks became just these roaring torrents. It was ripping out trees. It was gathering debris. It was just this river was so full 
and it was just taking stuff down with it. Telegraph lines were down and rail rail lines were washed away. Like it was an insane amount of rain. So before daybreak, the Economa River that ran through Johnstown was about to overwhelm its banks. So it was even without the catastrophic failure of the dam, yeah. the river was already flooded. And remember I had told you in the beginning that they were they just kept building closer and closer to the river uh, just to make way for like homes and businesses and stuff. So it the river was already like so flooded. On the morning of May 31st, in a farmhouse on a hill just above the South Fork Dam, President of the South Fork Club, Elias Unger, awoke to see that it was pouring rain, and the water in Lake Conema had risen immensely overnight. Wow. And well, then, just overnight? That'd be so scary. Yeah, like you go to sleep and you're like, oh, it's like raining. Oh, how bad can it be? It's rained before. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, no. That's terrifying. I can't believe no one was watching it, though, all night. Like, we're, there must have been people watching it. I don't know. I don't think there was because they have... They didn't take weather as seriously back then, clearly. No, no they didn't. They were just like, man, like, whatever. This area has seen flooding before. We've seen a lot of rain before. Do you think because this was, like, also the 1800s, uh, maybe they... This, like you said, was it the, one of the biggest or the biggest storm that they'd seen or their biggest rainfall there yeah it's the biggest rainfall ever recorded in that area yeah and it's they didn't maybe realize how much the infrastructure would be affected they weren't used to like i don't know times were different now For we sure. would realize okay like things can take out our power lines and this and that like for them that seems like they were kind of distracted by everything going on and didn't mm -hmm. realize how like there was still more than they could comprehend that was going to be affected by this exactly plus um some of that technology like technology like used loosely now but to then it was yeah. all new and important these rail lines the telegraph lines and stuff probably isn't something that they ever would have really thought about yeah so yeah this president of the club elias unger he like he runs outside to like assess the situation he's like okay this like looks really really full i'm just gonna go out here i'm gonna see what's going on and he sees that the water is like at this point nearly reached the top of the dam and he realizes that the spillway was blocked by the broken fish trap and debris mm -hmm. so they had put on that screen to catch like any fish that could have like left the lake and it was already like kind of broken and then because there's so much rain and all of this flooding that's already happening from rainfall it's not laying things out of the ground yeah, yeah it's now just catching debris and it, it's not water isn't able to be flown through there so now it's just holding in the lake and they had lowered the walls during those alterations so now the water has almost reached the top of those walls that's so already not very high so he is just seeing really just a mess on his hands so he quickly assembles a group of men um that are just in the area as well whether they're staying on the resort or they also live nearby because he wants them to try and unclog the spillway so oh water God. can at least start letting out naturally so a separate group of men while the, another group is trying to unclog it a separate group try to dig a ditch at the other end of the dam where the water was a bit lower so that while the spillway is trying to get unclogged there's at least this you know temporary ditch that could start draining water out it's something yeah and 
they're just doing this as fast as they can. It's obviously not like perfect, but they're like, we have to do this before it totally spills over. But it wasn't, it wasn't working. No, and that's an incredibly difficult task. And it's still like, raining. It's kudos to them for trying, for sure. Yeah, for, they did act yeah. quickly. So then they had this other group of men and they were just plowing earth to try and add height to the dam wall. And others were like just piling mud and rocks on the face of the dam. They were just, they were trying to get it to hold as long as it could so they could make shift spillways. It is such a scary situation to be in. Like time is of the essence. It is. It's every minute matters, every second matters. And mm -hmm. realizing that and just the panic and... And they're watching it. Like it won't stop raining. Yeah. So they're watching it just keep filling the walls of the dam itself were already not taken care of, so they're watching the walls that have already been there erode. Yeah, the pieces are missing. And they're watching it erode. They're trying to makeshift it, stuff it full of just mud and rocks, and that's falling apart. And it's just pandemonium of them, like, just quickly trying to just do quick fixes. Okay, we'll, we'll build the wall up. Wall up. We'll dig a hole over here. We'll dig a ditch. We'll try and drain it. And it, they're trying, but, like, really, it's just too late already. So an engineer from the South Fork Club named John Park briefly considered cutting through the dam's end where the pressure would be less to create another spillway, but decided against it because it would quickly ensure the failure of the dam. So even though it would temporarily work to help start releasing water from this area, it's just going to fuck the whole infrastructure, infrastructure no matter what. And at this point, they're looking at it like, well, it's already going to fail yeah. just by looking at it so why speed it up like let's just keep trying yeah you actually are kind of stuck in that position it's either way something bad is going to happen mm -hmm. so they're trying to yeah. like balance it like well what is the better of our two terrible options so you have this engineer out there like well we could break through this part to create a new spillway but it's going to fail no matter what so let's save time and um, the president, Unger, was like, okay, so if this is what you're saying, Park Engineer, like his name's Park, you're saying it's going to fail no matter what, but if we just keep doing what we're doing, we save time, then Park, you need to go and ride into town, you need to go to South Fork, and here's a telegraph office, there's a telegraph office up there, you have to take this message and send warning so that they can give warning to Johnstown, explaining that this situation is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, this dam that is literally looming above the city is going to rupture, and you need to send message now. So we will do what you're saying. We'll save time and try and hold the dam together the best we can. So this time we're saving needs to be used to go and deliver a message. Right. So the telegram read, South Fork Dam is liable to break. Notify the people of Johnstown to prepare for the worst. So it was prepare for the worst, and if we get in this message in time, you need to evacuate. Yeah. But for whatever reason, Park didn't personally take the warning message to the telegraph tower. He sent, like, some other dude. So he was like, I don't really want to do this. Like, I kind of want to stay here. He's probably like, I want to stay here and, like, just see what goes on. So he just sent some other random dude. And was like, go and give this to the Telegraph Tower because they have to tell Johnstown. But then that warning was never passed on to the authorities of Johnstown from the office. So this random dude did finally make it over there and say, give this to Johnstown. But when they got it at the office, they 
they literally laughed when they were told that it was on the verge of bursting. And um, a survivor of the flood had actually said that they got that message. And he said, quote, strange as it may seem, we were discussing the possibility of the dam breaking only a few hours before it really did. Everyone laughed at the idea of the dam giving way. No one had the slightest fear of such a catastrophe. That is so frightening. Mm-hmm. So this just crazy miscommunication and not taking it seriously is just so present in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it could have been so important for Johnstown to know. Oh, and that's, yeah. That's exactly what had jumped out about the situation to me. Mm-hmm. When you told me about the flood and we first started looking into it, first thing I said was there was a miscommunication here. Um, and how it speaks to, you know, um, the messenger being mm-hmm. this guy, this engineer that's supposed to take this message. It kind of sounds like everyone that was supposed to do it was like, I have better things to do. Much. I can serve a better purpose than this than giving, bringing this telegraph to. Yeah, or they just wanted to like sit back and watch it Yeah, like what were something? these people doing? I'm, I wonder, but it just is so irresponsible. And I'm not surprised. And remember I said out back to you, I was like, did someone sabotage this? <laughs> was there something like weird? Maybe it wasn't intentional, but. It's definitely so many things here that could have been prevented or just like handled a little bit better sooner and yeah. they, they weren't but yeah and even hearing like that one guy his quote like who he did survive the flood so after he was quoted in a paper as saying like oh it's so funny like we were even talking about how it, it could probably fail but we were like <laughs> whatever it hasn't happened yet i cannot believe that and then it happens and they're like oops but, and this is the group of people who got it and didn't tell Johnstown. They got the message. Yep. So Unger tells Park to go deliver the message. Park says, Ugh, you know what? I just don't really want to. Hands it off to some random dude who finally goes to the office and the office laughs. So there's already this, ex- this weird communication between all these yeah. people. And then a delay in the message. And then it finally gets to the people in charge who just laugh. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, and a huge thing I picked up on here was in the days before when I'd asked you, did this take place over a few days? Mm-hmm. Um, should I give it a rundown now or do you want me to do it at the end? I think I'll do it at the end. Um, it's totally up to you. If it, if it Before helps, I go on a huge tangent. Go ahead. If, especially if like, it'll probably help like relate back to stuff I'm going to talk about anyway. So then you can see it Mm -hmm. as I'm telling the story. Yeah. Uh, Something that jumped out to me about this right away was when I first cast the day of the 31st of May, I just did 8 a.m. because um, that's the morning. It's just felt right to me. Uh, And that showed me on May 31st, we were in Gemini season. So the sun's in Gemini um a new moon had taken place just a few days before this mm-hmm. cast at 8 a.m the moon was also in gemini at the very last degree so i knew right away that for most of the day sometime between like 8 and 8 30 the moon moves into cancer and then would be in cancer for the rest of the day mercury also is fresh into cancer um it's at the first like number one so second degree but mercury and cancer we had venus and taurus Uh, Mars in Gemini and then we've got Jupiter in Capricorn which was a huge thing that jumped out to me because Jupiter is in fall in Capricorn does not do well there then we've got Saturn in Leo and then we have Uranus and Libra Neptune in Gemini and Pluto in Gemini 
Um, so I wanted to say all that because there's a lot of Gemini planets. As yes, I'm sure is. you guys noticed listening, I said Gemini quite a few times. <laughs> and this is in the aftermath of the Gemini new moon. So And in Gemini season. Yes, yeah, so just the, that idea of communication is so important. You know, with Gemini's and with Gemini New Moon, there's always something to like reevaluate there with your communication with people. And Gemini is so connected with people and with sharing and your neighbors and people like close to you in your mm -hmm. surroundings. So it's interesting that all of those things were very affected at this time. And why I asked you was, did this take place over a few days? Because the moon would have been tracing over the sun, of course, during the new moon, but it also would have just touched Pluto and then it would have contacted Mars all conjunct with them because those planets are all in Gemini. Yeah, I can, I'm looking at it right now mm -hmm. and it's just this cluster. Gemini is full of yeah. this activity. And by the time that this was taking place, so again, I cast this at 8 a.m. and I don't know exactly what time it was that that man went out there um, and was noticed, okay, this is flooding. It we was need probably to start around, fixing this. around 8 in the morning. But it's, it's I like casting your own sunrise just because it's always a tone that's set for the day. So I just... It's a, it's mm -hmm. a Friday... Um, they're at a resort. I mean, 8 a.m. for like a grown ass man is probably like a good time oh, to yeah. wake up. It's probably late. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I feel like it was 8 a.m. Because mm -hmm. then it, it, all of this, trying to fix it, getting the message out there, took place over a few hours. Right. And um, the real like thick of it didn't happen until the early afternoon. Mm -hmm. So 8 a.m. is honestly a, a good choice. Mm -hmm. And the, so you'd see the moon is at the end of Gemini here and is about to enter Cancer and coming from this transit tracing over um, Pluto, the sun and Mars. So I'd like to point out the sun is between Pluto and Mars. Mm -hmm. So it's wedged between two malefics, which is not a nice position for the sun to be in. In general, those are days where like if if we were in a time right now where Pluto and Mars were in close contact and the sun was between them, it's one of those days where it's, you're just frustrated. Mm -hmm. Things are not going well. It's not going as you planned. Like You're irritated. Yeah, you feel like you're being a control freak or something because you're just trying to make things work. Like It's kind of is that kind of energy. You can't even where, go in a doorway because your sleeve gets caught on the <laughs> like, doorknob and it's infuriating. Yes, think of it that way. Exactly. Pulling on the cord of your earphones would get ripped out of your ear. Yeah. And you're like, oh, unpleasant things. It's just not going well. So you're already kind of in this time. The sun is wedged between. You just had a new moon. So the moon is there as well, which is so personal to you. It's your home. It's your safety, your comfort. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's about to enter cancer and conjunct mercury and cancer. So I immediately was like, okay, this is something that was going on for a couple of days here. There was a message. There was something here that was not listened to um, because you have uh, Jupiter in Capricorn up, like opposing that. So when you think of like the luck here, um, there isn't really anything there. So it's just a huge thing that jumped out to me. And um, I knew that Mercury would probably play some factor in this just because of the miscommunication yes. that I already like felt would probably be key in like a flooding of some kind like this with a dam. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, Mercury has to be a huge player here. And Mercury being conjunct the moon this morning, um, well, the moon was coming to conjunct Mercury. And at that time in the morning, the moon is still in Gemini, um, this planet of communication. By the time that I entered Cancer, the sign of home, um, things had like really gone awry. Yes. And I think that's interesting that this lost communication, things just were not working out in, in that like Gemini's favor. There's so many planets there, not very nice planets mm -hmm. there, unfortunately, kind of taking away from the positive 
interactions that could be taking place. Yeah. It just wasn't working. Yeah, this is like screaming mm-hmm. this message of like, please listen, get this message out there, listen, listen, yeah. and then it shifts over into cancer. Mm-hmm. You've missed the opportunity to properly deliver the message. And it's going to impact people's homes, people's safety, like people's lives. And it's a water sign, like just that. It's so creepy, just that energy right there. Mm-hmm. And is, the moon is at home in cancer, right? Yes. So it's answering, answering to itself. Nothing's really stopping it. The moon is at that point just on its journey and it's contacting Mercury. They come to conjunct as well. And Mercury, they're like right next to each other. Yes. So there's a lot of conjunctions happening at this time. You can see that the energy is very, very personal with the sun and the moon, Mm -hmm. which impacts like people's lives, their homes, their life force itself. So exactly. the miscommunication here was just a huge role and Mercury did not have very much power in this situation. It was not really, the message did not go through and it had really serious consequences like personally for people, which yes. I think you see with this Gemini cancer cluster we have going on. There's so much happening there. And um, there also is a conjunction with the North Node and Chiron in Cancer. Um, which is just an aspect of like extreme pain and difficulty, um, a huge learning lesson. So it indicates like when you're in this time and just with, again, the emphasis in cancer already kind of know that it's personal at that time, like mm-hmm. that aspect's kind of being highlighted and, um, yeah, you see the, you see the, the consequences. Yeah. It's, it's, um, there was this warning even up there in the sky saying you have to listen and communicate properly. By the time the moon made its way to conjunct Mercury, there was nothing that anyone could do. It was too late. And it's so creepy. And now it's like, like you're saying, this personal placements, um, people's homes. Yeah. It's just personal. And the water. Your neighbors, your home and the water, all of that, you, uh, you have consequences for not listening to Gemini that was screaming. Gemini mm-hmm. was screaming at you. And it really comes back to Saturn with consequences, but we'll get into it. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, good old GB Hartley, he just said, it was strange. We were just discussing that it would break and ha ha ha, we didn't take it seriously. <laughs> so Unger Park and so the president of the club, the engineer that had come out to assess and the rest of the men, they continued working to save the face of the dam until they eventually abandoned their efforts around 1.30. So they were working all morning into the afternoon. They were like, it, we can't keep doing this. We're exhausted. Um, they had started to fear that their efforts were futile because the dam looked at risk of collapsing any minute. They had been doing their best. It, it, it just, it was going to happen. It was bound to happen. Yeah. So Unger ordered all his men to fall back to high ground on both sides of the dam where all they could do was just watch and wait. It was still raining. It's still filling up. So meanwhile, like down in the valley, the situation worsened as the water in Johnstown rose as high as 10 feet in the streets. Oh, wow. And this was just started to trap people in their houses. They had no idea that the situation above them was much worse though so they're already down there distracted they the riverbeds were overflowing there was so much water already they're in their own world of catastrophe down there yeah not even realizing that above them this lake Kanama lake was holding 3.8 billion gallons of water 
or 20 million tons. Oh my God. And that dam was on the brink of collapse. Between 2.50 and 2.55 p.m., the South Fork Dam breached. The first town to be hit by the flood was South Fork, which was on high ground. And most of the people escaped by running up into the like nearby hills when they saw that the dam was spilling over. Mm-hmm. Between 20 and 30 houses were destroyed or washed away, and four people were killed in South Fork. One witness on high ground near South Fork described the water as almost obscured by debris, resembling, oh. quote, a huge hill rolling over and over again. I didn't even factor that in, that you're not just going to drown. You're probably just going to get clocked by something yes. in the water. And and it is God. just full yeah. of trees. Um, I have it in here somewhere, a list of stuff that people saw, just... It doesn't. It didn't even look like water. Yeah. It just looked like a mountain of moving shit coming at you. Yeah. Continuing on its way downstream to Jonestown, 14 miles west, the water picked up debris. Here we go. Such as trees, houses, and animals. Oh, at no. the Conema Viaduct, a 70-foot-high rail railroad bridge, the flood was momentarily stemmed. Uh, it stemmed. I think I meant to write stopped. the flood was momentarily stopped at this bridge when the debris started to get like jammed up against the stone bridges like archway okay but within seven minutes so it had kind of it's it slowed pace there a little bit so there was about seven minutes of time where it held firm but then the viaduct abs just completely collapsed and it allowed the flood to resume its course however because of this delay the floodwaters gained, quote, renewed hydraulic head, resulting in a stronger, more abrupt wave of water hitting places downstream than otherwise would have been expected. So it would kind of like ramped it up, like essentially just revved the engine so that it could shoot down. Oh, my God. The small town of Mineral Point, one mile below the viaduct, was the first populated place to be hit with this renewed force. About 30 families lived on the village's single street. After the flood, there was no structures, no topsoil, and no subsoil. Only the bedrock was left. It actually ripped everything It took out. the entire little village with it. Oh my god. And in this tiny little village where 30 families lived, 16 people were killed. So, like pretty much half the population i'm surprised it wasn't everyone honestly pretty much half no but you know what i mean a big portion of population from this little yeah small town mineral point were taken no subsoil like it took everything yeah water is very intense it's very strong once it's like gaining force like that momentum i had um read that the dam and the lake like just behind the dam was holding as much water that goes over the niagara falls in like half an hour like wow that much water so it was something like that and we know like water like that creates so much energy Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense it would be ripping yeah literally ripping the soil uprooting trees Mm -hmm. so of course it can take all the soil with it 
The village of East Kanama was the next populated area in the path of the flood. From his idle locomotive in the town's rail yard, an engineer named John Hess heard and felt the rumbling of the approaching flood. It's like an avalanche. So he threw his locomotive into reverse and he just raced backward toward town, toward East Kanama. And he was just blowing his whistle constantly to just warn them, like, I'll at least get your attention so you can be like, what the hell is he doing? So he's reversing, he's blowing his whistle, he's just yelling at people so that they were to get their attention so they could go and reach higher ground. And it worked. So a lot of people were able to reach high ground because of his warnings. That's amazing. There's always one little hero in these (laughs) stories, you know? There's one guy who's like, fuck it, let's do this. (laughs) So he was still in reverse, moving backwards, blowing his whistle to warn people about the flood when the flood hit. So the flood picked up his locomotive, so like his train, and it took it off the tracks and pushed it aside. And he did survive. But at least 50 people died in the village, including 25 passengers who had been stranded on trains in the village. Wow. And the force of the flood swept several locomotives that weighed 170,000 pounds. This flood pushed them 4,800 feet. So almost 5,000 feet. That's how strong this was, that it pushed almost a 200,000 pound train. That's incredibly powerful insane and yeah. horrifying i can't even imagine that experience i and it would be so fast too right what a story to tell your grandchildren like oh when i was young there was this <laughs> flood and i was in my locomotive and i had to go in reverse and i was telling all these people and then i got pushed and i survived like right. i made it out it's so cool like it's tragic but that's such a cool story and he saved so many lives by being yeah. like the warning system since you know other people dropped the ball and warning towns mm-hmm. He was like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm just going to flip this bad boy into reverse, go back, and start warning. The flood's final stop before hitting Johnstown was the town of Woodville, where it hit the Cambria Iron Works and the Gautier Wire Works. And it was gathering railroad cars and miles of barbed wire into its massive debris. That's so scary. From these foundries, and as well as exploding all of the boilers, which was sending this black smoke just billowing up into the sky that uh, residents in Johnstown started to see. Wow, so like, okay then. What the fuck is going on <laughs> up there? Like, what is this smoke? Yes. So yeah, it's barreling through this, like, industrial area collecting all these railroad cars and just miles of barbed wire that is so scary and with the iron Mm -hmm. and we were talking about planets and iron being connected to mars and And the the sun being conjunct mars at that time and wedged between mars and pluto perfectly malefic yes energy malefic planets so (laughs) it's so creepy and you know, if we want to talk about violent death, <laughs> you look to Mars. <laughs> it's kind of hard to avoid the topic of violent death when there's it's, literally yeah a wave of debris. Well, I was, yeah, I was explaining to you before, like, so Ptolemy had noted he believed that violent death, bloody, gory, like very unfortunate gross things let's just you know Mm -hmm. 
was very Mars because often that's very personal and like can be indicates like crime or Mm -hmm. you know something very very um close passion that would yeah that would mm -hmm. i don't really like the term crime blood guts but but like unless it's there there are accidents of course that can create that but it's often just very personal Mm -hmm. um and then saturn you can kind of look to look to you know chronic illnesses diseases things like that but also things that are out of your control that happen to you um one of them being death by water Mm -hmm. particularly like violent unpleasant death um so the fact that you've got you know the drownings that are happening or you know people getting taken out violently by this flood yeah you've got to coming barreling down a mountain i thought about okay so that's saturn Mm -hmm. and then you've got um the violence here and like the iron the connection with iron also like brings you to mars and at this time saturn and mars were in a perfect sextile like exact to the degree Mm -hmm. and saturn was in like a very powerful position in the chart it also had like a sextile with uranus which um is a modern planet so Ptolemy wouldn't have said shit about that in his, like, how does this play into murder or death? He's but like, Uranus, don't know it. Yes, but just of what we know, like, with modern astrology, accidents, like, things that are out of our control. It's mm-hmm. also modern astrology has really started to look to Uranus for weather events and things. Um, so the fact that you've got Saturn and it's kind of got, like, Uranus and Mars in its grasp there mm-hmm. has the exact sextile with Mars and a looser sextile with Uranus, but it's only three degrees apart. It's still very strong. Um, and you also have Jupiter, that planet of luck and fortune and, you know, good things happening has no power at this time. It's in fall in Capricorn, Capricorn ruled by Saturn. So you'd have to look to Saturn to see like how you're going to pull through this situation. What do you have on your side? What's at your disposal? Like, and there, unfortunately, Jupiter was like very alone at this time in the chart. Didn't have very much pull. Way isolated all Mm -hmm. the way on the other side. Yep, it's opposite the Cancer and Gemini energy. Yep. So exactly. you have, yeah, Jupiter's alone answering to Saturn, which is in a powerful position at this time. It's connected to Mars. It's connected to Uranus. Mm-hmm. That's very unpleasant energy. The Sun, conjunct Mars, conjunct Pluto, wedged between the two, does not have good power at that time. Like what was coming to light was unfortunate. And you know, cast when I cast this at eight a.m., you can see. The moon's still in Gemini, approaching Mercury and Cancer. The sun here in this mm-hmm. like really sensitive position. Jupiter opposite in the sky. And by um, noon, like when things were coming to a head as the morning was progressing, the moon like entered Cancer, yes. came to exact its conjunction with Mercury. Um, and at this point, those planets that in the morning time were like rising and had this message that was trying to come through by the time they were at their highest point in the sky Mm -hmm. and the sun is shining and bright it's wedged between these planets it's opposite jupiter it's not having any luck there like there is just such an unfortunate like energy going on it just shows it's, the like series yeah. of events that were oof. yeah they're already the ball was already rolling and you were way too late to stop it jupiter's alone yep it was opposing it's so alone yep it's so lonely over there opposing the chiron north node conjunction of like extreme pain and then oh that god I was saying. and then the mercury uh and moon conjunction it's opposing that yep so no luck there and then actually was for, um exacting a quincux 
or in conjunct um, with Pluto. So that's like things either go really, really good or really bad, depending on what you do with the situation. And this energy building for a few days, mm -hmm. it was either going to be like save the day energy where, oh my God, we got this in like the nick of time and <sighs> look at what we did. This We were able to stop this tragic incident or it was going to go horribly wrong and go the other way. And it went the other way. It you can sure see. did. Unfortunately, when this was happening, Jupiter was just alone, like suffocating. Yep. And Saturn was here, like I'm bringing the, I'm bringing <laughs> the violent death by water with Mars by my side. Let's I'm bringing go. Bringing the violent death of water with Mars, who yeah. rules over iron. Hey, we're gonna steel. take out this factory. Bring some barbed wire with us. Honestly. Oh. And then you got Uranus over there, like, well, it is mm -hmm. out of everyone's hands, right? Yeah. Here we go. A really um, scary threesome there. Mm -hmm. A there trio was... of just chaos. There really wasn't very much positive, you know, very many positive, strong aspects here. There's Well, yeah, and even if there is, they're subdued completely. Yes. They're, like, suppressed and... Uh... It's like, we're going to take this in the worst way possible. Yeah, there's, like, a little... <laughs> <clears throat> little light of beacon and there's like these malefic planets that are smothering it down yeah. like no mm -hmm. don't you sh you we have more power in this situation we're gonna bully you into silence okay great and jupiter's over there yelling hey can you hear me can anyone hear me over here and they're like no you're way too far and it's like fuck the okay. saturn's there like <laughs> <laughs> with both its arms extended yeah consequences sextile is just outreaching and grasping on all of these things yeah like, here we go bringer of destruction and death mm -hmm. by water and it's it was in leo which would be the sign of the sun so it's answering to the sun so the sun is getting it's it's living this it's happening but it can't it's, do oh, anything no it's it's there it's it's, it's affecting up. everyone the sun your life force your vitality and and so it's just pluto it's and mars are just mars is holding it back and pluto's covering his its mouth yeah. like you be quiet you're here you're you're literally wedged you between us you cannot escape what's happening right now this is like <laughs> it's like i don't want this <laughs> I think I hear Jupiter. Is that Jupiter over there? And Jupiter's like, no one can hear me. No one. Um, I don't have any. But like, hello. I hate this position. Saturn, will you please give my message? I'm. I'm supposed to speak to you. Like you're supposed to pass things along for me and help me out. And Saturn's like, no way, man. I'm having way more fun up here in Sorry. my sextile. Yeah. <laughs> I have some. Uh, I have some other plans today. Oh my god, we should make cartoons to help people visualize this for real. <laughs> A little animation. Fifty-seven minutes after the dam collapsed, the real flood hit Johnstown. Johnstown. So, you know, they thought they were living in a flood. Because it was scary. already, the riverbeds were overwhelmed. It was rising. And they had no idea that the real flood was on its way. So residents were caught by surprise as the wall of water and debris bore down at them, traveling at speeds of 40 miles per hour or 64 kilometers an hour. And reaching a height of 60 feet. That's a giant-ass wall of water and debris. In it's many like a tsunami. It is, yeah. In many cases, people didn't even see water coming toward them. They only saw what the water was carrying. So they saw dirt, mud, rocks, trees, rubbish, houses, telegraph poles, bridges, machinery, locomotives, animals, and humans. Dead and alive. Oh my god, people just screaming, yep. like tumbling through the water. Some people or the were like debris. 
some people were like impaled by debris and weren't dead yet some people were people are probably like holding on to things yeah. too like literally like just clutching on to something as they're like screaming rolling through this and it was rolling yeah as for Johnstown itself um this guy named mccullough he described the scene this way as the wave hit Front Street, buildings began falling, one on top of another. Some seemed to bounce and roll before they were swept downstream. Locomotives from the roundhouse went swirling about like logs in a mill race. When the wave struck, it was probably about 28 to 30 feet high, though understandably it looked a great deal higher to anyone caught in its path. The roundhouse was crushed, as one onlooker said, like a toy in the hands of a giant. The passenger tra trains were swamped in an instant. Yard engines went spinning off one after another. Now several hundred freight cars, a dozen or more loco locomotives, passenger trains, nearly a hundred more houses, and quite a few more human corpses were part of the tidal wave that surged on down the valley. So that was a quote by this guy. Taking all of that in. Taking all of that in and imagining how fast that would have happened. Mm -hmm. That's what's hard for me to comprehend. It's like he would be watching that and it's just like your brain would just be going a mile a minute. Especially you're... at first you'd be like, what am I looking at? Because mm -hmm. like I said, some people didn't even see wa like water. That they is, don't even... That's wild to me that you're just like. It's a muddy lump just rolling. It's like a landslide. Rolling. Yeah. It's like a tsunami, landslide, tidal wave, flood, garbage pile. Mm -hmm. it, like, it's, it's just everything horrible. And that's barreling at you at 40 miles an hour and reaching 60 feet in some places. I think we're definitely on to something with, like, Uranus being connected to weather events that are out mm -hmm. of our control entirely. Like, you know, especially the fact that in this chart you had two planets that were connected with weather events like saturn was the lord of agriculture yes and i believe it still is considered that i know that people don't really write about that anymore but i don't think that anyone would dispute that or like that any, i think they've called it anyone write. else yeah i think like, we just don't write about it anymore because we're not like yeah 300 years ago when yeah like agriculture like, i don't think they've tried to connect it to a different planet in modern astrology that i know of like that anyone has done that any writers but so we've got like the Lord of Agriculture chilling there mm -hmm. um, and the land is literally just being wiped out by all of this. And then you have Uranus, which people are pointing to now like, hey, I think we should pay more attention to Uranus here as being like maybe connected with weather events as well. And you have both of these planets here like contacting each other and contacting Mars. And I don't think that's a coincidence that they would all be in this like relationship at that time. And you right. have a catastrophic event happening. Like it's actually like catastrophic. Yeah. Is, like a word to use but it even seems like minimal yeah like it doesn't seem like enough because it's just like a, it is a just a catastrophe it's not just one thing it's no it's like all of these things and it and hitting the like this flood hitting multiple places and gathering mm -hmm. all of this deadly debris in its in its path and then hitting a spot that was already flooding and they were dealing with their own crisis down there yeah not even realizing that what was coming at them was way worse it's so sad it is so sad you just live in your life and you get hit by this huge rainfall and like this dam like just the little things that happened that made this happen like yeah. the fact that they took all the pieces out of the dam 
and never replace them because like oh whatever whatever we don't need it it's it's fine like i don't know what their thought process was there how that's okay like obviously they weren't checking no they just were like look i think exactly we can't speak for them we don't know if they forgot it if they just didn't care yeah like but like it's still a big deal and then the and then the uh, telegraph office not even passing the message down mm-hmm. to Johnstown. They were laughing that same day about it. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it happens. <laughs> we, we were actually just talking about it. Hey, this could break. <laughs> and then it did. Fucking dick. So they, uh, the residents in Johnstown, they see this just debris of fuckery barreling down at them so some people tried to escape by running towards high ground which you know seems to be the common theme here because like what else are you gonna do running towards higher ground but most were hit by the surging flood water before they even had a chance to escape many people were crushed by pieces of debris and others became caught in the barbed wire and were you know use your imagination for the barbed wire and uh others were drowned but there was miles and miles and miles of barbed wire in this flood that was now just sweeping through this town. It would just destroy things. It was, yeah, it was. It was yeah. just ripping. It was like tripwire, essentially, just like coming through and just snatching through everything. People were getting caught in it and tangled up in it. Yeah. So they were stuck. So they were drowning because they're stuck or because something worse happened because it's barbed yeah. wire and it's going how fast how strong is that like it would probably do some serious it's damage. terrifying when yeah. i was reading about the barbed wire i had like like foot like goosebumps everywhere because i was like as if it couldn't get worse yeah you already are carrying like trains mm-hmm. and and livestock and trees and houses and now you have to put barbed wire into the the mix the fact that like an astrologer if it were that morning or like even the night before and this flood is happening (laughs) and you had an astrologer come in they would have been like "Ooh, there's like you got an iron factory down there (laughs) oh well like you better watch out because there's some really like strong activity here with mars and with saturn and Mm -hmm. um and like it's just so creepy they'd be like you this is serious like also like the iron factory just so you know yeah. Keep it in mind. Honestly, that was really loud. Echoed. <laughs> Honestly, that's what's so disturbing about it. And it's like, yeah, we're not just like an iron foundry, mm-hmm. um, you know, making some like sewer grates. Like we're making miles yeah. of barbed wire. Like, oh, it's so, you know what's crazy to think about? Because this, I just thought about this now. Because we are in a area that is a gorge. Mm-hmm. So there's this staggered towns along like a cliff, essentially. This barbed wire was probably being used to, like, contain, like, rocks, like, rocks to stop rock slides, landslides. Yeah. Um, protect the livestock they had in the area from predators that lived in the mountains. But, yeah, just to imagine that this barbed wire was also probably used to, like, hold, contain. Yeah. And it, the opposite happened. The dam did not contain water and instead picked up the barbed wire, which is used to contain and did so much more damage <laughs> just the irony it's just oh iron that's not funny it's horrible it's just fucking creepy and crazy and the barbed wire is just something that has stuck with me this whole time about just so gruesome yeah and like you said mars um with death a very gory gruesome death yeah and the ruler of of iron therefore steel 
That's so weird. And these people were like swept away by barbed wire. Oh. Horrifying. An Associated Press writer who experienced the flood firsthand wrote of the urgency of escaping. Quote, it was a race for life. There was seen the black head of the flood, now the monster destruction, whose crest was raised high in the air, and with this in view, even the weak found wings for their feet. So, like, everyone was like, okay, yeah, like, I've been collecting a disability, but all of a sudden my legs work. <laughs> and they were just up and out, trying their best to flee. So scary. Stone Bridge was a substantial arched structure that carried the Pennsylvania Railroad across the Conema River, and it was here that the debris quickly formed a temporary dam, resulting in the flood surge rolling upstream along the Stony Creek River. So it's barreling down. All of this debris gets stuck on this huge bridge, so it creates a dam which you would think, oh, it's going to slow it. It's going to slow the water down now and maybe people will have a chance of getting out. Mm -hmm. But no, they're in a gorge at this point. So gravity caused the surge to return downstream again to the makeshift dam, resulting in this like second like back wave. So it hit oh. this makeshift dam so hard yeah. that it started to push the water back upstream but then it gained pace again coming down and just made this whole second wave. So this second wave hit the city from a different like direction. Mm -hmm. It's just, the, it's like a pinball machine in there now. So some of the people who had been washed away in the flood became trapped in an inferno as a result of the debris that had piled up against the bridge catching fire. What? Yeah, so there was pandemonium with this these waves that were made. These tidal waves, you're in a wave pool at this point, technically. Yeah. It's just back and forth, crazy waves. More debris is collecting. People are getting tossed all over the place. Now you have, like, four towns worth of stuff in this mess. And some of it has now, like, exploded and caught fire. So now people are stuck against the makeshift dam in debris and on fire i cannot even comprehend that how are you on fire where'd the fire come from it's there was like boilers caught up oh in my this. god there was probably like tnt because it's the 1800s and they're probably blowing up pieces of this gorge and yeah just this whole mess of debris from smacking against the makeshift dam which was a bridge caught the makeshift dam and bridge on fire that is insane and 80 people died in that inferno and the fire burned for three days that's how intense it was even with the rain even with yeah. the rain and this, the flood <laughs> that's how you know it was like a chemical fire of yeah. some kind from just the insane amount of stuff that it picked up traveling through it goes through a little village. It goes through like an industrial town. Mm -hmm. It comes down to Jonestown where there's already industries and people and everything. And it just, this inferno burned for three days. That's terrifying. People who are lucky enough to survive inside their homes on their roofs or managed to stay afloat on pieces of floating debris waited hours for help to arrive. After floodwaters receded, the pile of debris at Stone Bridge covered 30 acres 
and was 70 feet tall in some spots. So it's like a wall of fire. It's a wall. <clears throat> the bridge and the dam were like a big fire. But then even more than that, there was 30 acres of debris. So all of the stuff that the flood had swept up in it was left in, in that spot where it finally dissipated. Mm -hmm. So there was 30 acres and 70 feet tall walls of garbage, trees, houses, broken trains, pieces of bridges. I wonder how long that animals, took to clean up. People. Oh, well, we'll get into We'll get into that. <sighs> Actually, like, pretty much right now. Excellent. So the Johnstown flood was the worst flood to hit the U.S. in the 19th century. Probably not surprising. 1,600 homes were destroyed, $17 million in property damage. How much do you think that is? 17 million in the 18 <laughs> fucking hundreds? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that has to be like billions of dollars. Well, it's, it's almost 500 million. What? Yeah. Okay. That's still a lot. I know, right? So $500 million in property damage and four square miles of downtown Johnstown were completely destroyed. Floodlines were found as high as 89 feet above river level. I wonder what it looks like today. Like if the, mm. if the land is still kind of like fucked up and eroded or like recovering where you can tell like, oh, that's where the flood hit. Look at all of the like, how different it looks. The terrain, it looks like. You can see the, line, the flood lines, mm -hmm. literally. I bet that it was, I don't know about today, just because this was like over 150 years ago yeah, at like, this point almost. It's so long ago. But I bet it was visible for a long time if it isn't anymore. Debris at Stonebridge covered, like I said, the debris at Stonebridge covered 30 acres. And so you were like, I wonder how long it took to clean that up. Cleanup operations continued for years. Mm-hmm. Cambria iron and steel's facilities were heavily damaged, which is where the barbed wire came from, but they returned to full production within 18 months. So they... That's, that is a while still, like that's mm -hmm. a year and a half, but that's impressive. Yeah, when the, literally your entire foundry is just mm -hmm. swept away and all your barbed wire is taken. Oh my God. Working seven days and nights... Work, workmen built a wooden trestle bridge to temporarily replace the Economa Viaduct. That was the huge railroad bridge that um, acted as the first temporary dam. The one that held for only seven minutes. Oh. So up the gorge. So they made a, like a temporary wooden bridge. And the Pennsylvania Railroad restored service to Pittsburgh, which is like the biggest town in that area. The next biggest town would be Pittsburgh for this area, which is what I just said. I just said it twice in different words. <laughs> like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back then when it was... Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Cool. That's like the Good biggest town for them to um, get supplies and people from and stuff like yeah. that. So Makes sense. Because they made this makeshift wooden bridge to replace the one that was destroyed, the railroad was restored by June 2nd. So only two days later. And this was 
their that, main, yeah. It was it was really fast because it was their main objective at this point. It's priority for it to happen so quickly so that they could start receiving like the mass amounts of goods mm-hmm. that they would need. Um, they needed food, clothing, medicine. They needed people yeah. to travel quickly too. So all of this was able to arrive within those two days of fixing it. They were able to arrive immediately to start like the restoration and the life-saving measures and mm-hmm. stuff. With the rails fixed, morticians began arriving because one of the first things Johnstown requested help with was getting enough coffins and undertakers to take care of their dead. Makes sense. The it's, total... Yeah. They, they needed this, like, quickly. Yeah. Along with the, like, medicine and food and stuff like that. They needed... The last thing you want is lingering bodies exactly. everywhere. Exactly. Like, trying it's, to clean, and it's, like, It's oh. already traumatizing. Yeah. So, um, the total death toll from the flood was originally calculated as 2,209 people. However, a man who was presumed dead, had actually survived. Oh, wow. It's some guy named Leroy Temple, and he returned to Johnstown 11 years after the disaster and revealed that he had freed himself from the flood debris at Stone Bridge and walked out of the valley and fled to Beverly, Massachusetts. He was out of there. He's like, I don't want to be in this town anymore. Holy. It's flooding. I don't like it. So because he had fled... Obviously, other survivors or people going through, like, census or whatever are, like, yo, Leroy's... He's unaccounted for. Leroy, yeah. Leroy's Leroy. He must have been one of the many people that were just never recovered or identified. Hmm. But now he returned 11 years later and was like, I'm not dead. So the official death toll should be 2,208. Okay. Not... It still is so, so many people, which is, again, why they needed those morticians and undertakers ASAP. Yeah. Because... You're already traumatized. You don't need to walk down the street and see, like, your dead loved ones and neighbors. Yeah. At the time, the, di- the disaster was the largest loss of civilian life in the U.S. It was later surpassed um, by the 1900 Galveston hurricane. Oh, okay. Which was another huge catastrophic event where they don't even know how many people died. It's debated, um, and it's estimated anywhere between six and 12,000 people. Holy, that's a huge gap. Yes, because it's just this um, this hurricane hit all kinds of places. Not even just in the states. It didn't oh, just hit okay. states. It hit like places in um, like the islands off near Florida and stuff, and South America. Mm-hmm. It made its way up. It touched a lot and damaged a lot. When was that? Nineteen hundred. Okay. So just like what, eleven years later? Yeah. And, yeah, that is the deadliest natural disaster to strike the United States. It was, yeah. How do you keep track of all the people back then? Like, things were different. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like it's, they have a death, like, we all have a birth certificate. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how things were back then, but I'm sure it was a lot harder to keep track of everyone. And, like, how many people were in every village and, like, what happened to them all. Like, how do you find all those bodies? Like... Because that's a huge estimate, mm-hmm. like six to twelve thousand. Such a big gap. Like, so obviously it was just so catastrophic. They're like, okay, we really don't know how bad this was. It hit so many places, so it was just like impossible to tell. Yeah, and then yeah, probably like 
re records are probably hard to keep straight if it hits so many places because then it's like well maybe you know this family was reported dead like because mm -hmm. no one could find them and maybe they resurfaced later and and one state updated the records and the other didn't yeah so like it's easier for things to get lost in translation there like exactly. how many other people from johnstown maybe there was like a handful more that mm -hmm. actually did get away and just moved away <laughs> yeah and it's just so moved on with their one lives guy came yeah. back so they had to lower the victim yeah. count by one but like yeah you never know Maybe there was, like, a couple families, or hopefully, you hope that there was, like, yeah. some people that actually ended up getting away and just, records were different back then. They moved to a different state and just mm -hmm. were lost. According to records, records compiled by the Johnstown Area Heritage Association, Association, <laughs> bodies were found as far away as Cincinnati, Ohio, which is 350 miles away. Wow. Or 563 kilometers. So that's how far away some of these bodies got swept. Just going by going like down river and the flooding. And just, oof, that's so far. And they were found, bodies were found, like the remains were found as late as 1911. Holy. Mm -hmm. 99 entire families died in the flood, including 396 children, 124 women, and 198 men were widowed. 98 children were orphaned, and mm. one-third of the dead, so 777 people, were never identified, so their remains were buried in the, uh, quote, plot of the unknown. That's sad. At Johnstown Grandview Cemetery. So 777 people couldn't be identified, and that's probably just because of the absolute... Everyone is... Yeah. The, their body would have just been pummeled. It would have been completely destroyed if it was... Especially part of the floodwaters from the beginning. Yeah. Rolling and rolling down the gorge with all this debris in it. And the only people identifying are surviving people then. Mm -hmm. And if you all of your family is gone too and no one can identify you. Then exactly. Like, maybe like, it, even no matter what might have happened to like your face or something. Yeah. Maybe you knew that like your daughter had a big birthmark on her shoulder or something. But mm -hmm. if your whole family is dead... And they're, you don't recognize their face just from, like, living in the village with yeah. them. You're not going to know. No. So 777 people never identified. A man named Frank Shomo was the last known survivor of the 1889 flood, and he died on March 20th, 1997. Wow. He was 108 years old. Yeah. So he lived up. The stories he probably told, oh, man. <laughs> the Great Flood of 1889. It took three months to remove the massive debris at Stone Bridge. The delay was because, one, there was 30 acres of debris, and two, the huge quantity of barbed wire was tangled on everything. The demolition, the demolition expert Dynamite Bill <laughs> and his 900-man crew were called in, and dynamite was used to blow everything up and make clearing the wreckage a bit easier. So they had tried to salvage what they could. They had tried to sort through the debris because at the end of the day, literally everyone's belongings is in that pile of debris. Yeah. But it was just, it was painstaking. It was impossible. People were getting hurt on the barbed wire. So this dynamite bill just came in and blew everything up. Yeah. So they could just haul it away in like piles. And he didn't just help blow up the mess to clean it up. He also just cart carted the debris off so that no one else had to worry about it. He helped distribute food 
and they erected temporary housing for the victims. Oh, Dynamite Bill. Yeah, so Dynamite Bill and his 900-man crew just came in and was like, yo, we're here to help. That's nice. This 900-man crew was only a portion of people that were there to help. There was also an army of relief workers, like literally parts of the army. (laughs) But then mainly it was just volunteers. There was 7,000 people that volunteered to help. Wow. One of the first outsiders to arrive to Johnstown to help was a woman named Clara Barton. She's the founder and president of the American Red Cross. That's cool. She's not the president anymore, but she was the founder (laughs) and president. She arrived on June 5th, so five days after the uh, flood. And she led the group's first major disaster relief effort, and she stayed to help for more than five months. So she just situated herself there and was helping the families and victims and everyone. And donations for the relief effort came from all over the states and even overseas. So in total, the U.S. and 18 other countries donated, um, and over $3.7 million was collected for the relief effort, which is $117.5 million today. Wow. I wonder if that was one of the first like big relief efforts that was maybe made in the States. Probably. For... Probably the biggest yeah. that, that had ever happened at this part, especially one that had been led by actual organizations yeah because that's cool clara barton arrived there herself and she was the founder and the president of the red cross so it would have been fairly new so yeah this was probably the biggest that anyone had ever seen for relief help and just crazy how fast word would have traveled because it's not like you would just post on instagram like oh fuck i lost my house in a flood no and that other countries could see you because you are connected but Mm -hmm. like this this spread the word spread it would have been on all the newspapers. Mm-hmm. It would have. It would have been probably all anyone was talking about was, to you hear about the flood? And because even think about if a body was found, so it's swept away in this Cambria County, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and it's found in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is hundreds of miles away, then like even that. You'd be like, what's this body from and where are we getting this, like, secondhand flooding debris? Yeah. So, like, the word would just keep traveling and traveling. That'd be insane. It's pretty crazy to think about. It is so crazy to think about. It's so much to wrap your head around because it's just, like I said at the beginning, like, 65 minutes. Mm-hmm. Total destruction in just over an hour. Yeah. That left this community fixing its mess for years. On June 5th, 1889, five days after the flood, the American Society of Civil Engineers appointed a committee of four prominent engineers to investigate the cause of the disaster. So the committee was led by the esteemed James B. Francis, who was a hydraulic engineer best known for his work related to canals, flood control, turbine design, dam construction, and hydraulic calculations. This is the guy that no one wants coming in to look. Because <laughs> yeah. he's going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and he's probably all... like, shit. <laughs> and he knows his shit, which is why he is the founding member of this um, society. Such cool times. Because, like, we really were, at, like, just the world that we live in now, mm-hmm. the, the tone for it was really set, like, before the Industrial Revolution. And, exactly. And, like, the rise of that. We're living in the aftermath of, like, technological booms that mm-hmm. we really take for granted like 
this was such a cool time for them. Yeah. And the founding members, like these new things that were coming out. It's the wake of all of these, um, whatever you want to call them, if whether it's like a Red Cross, if it's these societies, these committees, mm-hmm. all of these things, it's like the wake of all of it. Of, yeah. Of a modern society. Yeah, really. people being like, we need this. Like these things are happening in this new world that we're trying to navigate and, and make. So mm-hmm. we're going to build these different foundations or these exactly. organizations to help and it's it's cool to see like we're more educated the things now, that were share mm-hmm, that were like these were the influences that helped shape them and that's like, right yeah yeah the influences that's so true so they had this guy he's the head of it james b francis he's like hey let's go i'm gonna get a committee together of four prominent engineers and i'm gonna i'm gonna lead it we're gonna go see what the fuck happened over here so they visited, this committee of four visited the site of the dam, and they reviewed the original engineering design of it and the modifications made during, quote-unquote, <coughs> the removals of the pipes. Exactly. <laughs> they interviewed the eyewitnesses, commissioned a topographic survey of the dam remnants, and performed hydraulic calculations. So they went out there okay. and did the damn thing. So this committee completed their investigation report on January 15th, 1890. Oh, wow. They took a long time. It took their time. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the final report was sealed and not shared with other members of the um, American Society of Civil Engineers. And it was not shared with the public either. Okay, that is... Yes. That's interesting. At the beginning, I was like, yeah, I bet that they would try to, like, bury that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I said, but you were like, oh, yeah, these are a bunch of rich guys. Exactly. Like, they would have been sure to protect their try namesake, and, and even if it wasn't their namesake, to try and protect their other rich yeah. business associates. Yeah. Why would you seal those records? It's obvious, like, I don't know anything about damn construction and this <laughs> and that. You don't? <laughs> I know, right? Like, what the hell? But... <laughs> It's so obvious that what they did is wrong, like that they didn't replace parts and they were selling them and they mm-hmm. were, these were private investors who didn't know what they were doing. That's right. No one was coming to check up. The government wasn't looking over this huge fucking thing that they were responsible for in the first place. Yeah, they, they sold like, it. They yeah. sold it to the private How can people? you sell something off? The government knew that they had ex- fucked up here. They didn't have the right things in place. Like now you would never be able to do that. You'd probably have to go through like a whole process, a checklist to make sure that you can sell this to these people and that they're going to maintain it and the government learned from this and we're probably like we need to seal these records we can't have people know that this ultimately comes back on us but going forward we'll make sure it doesn't happen again you're on to something completely and it's so true gemini new moon the lesson was not learned in the time but (laughs) they're like whoops the consequences in the aftermath they really had to sit with and learn from yeah like the lessons learned that chiron conjunction north node like extreme devastation but they had to learn take something from this and thankfully you know there was some sort of consequences to it and lessons learned and then there's some that we'll get into where it's like see it's totally just because they're fucking rich men Mm -hmm. so um I'm just going to say A-S-C-E for short instead of American Society of Civil Engineers because it's a (laughs) mouthful so yeah for some reason, the committee sealed these, they didn't share them with other um, ASCE members, they did not share it with the public, and ASCE would do annual conventions. So there was one held in June 1890, so like six months after the report would have been done mm-hmm. and sealed, and these members were curious about the report and they wondered why it wasn't available, and a committee member 
and president at the time named Max Becker, he basically said that the community he basically said that the committee isn't going to publish their investigation unless they were pressed to do so because they didn't want to become involved in any sort of litigation. That's so, telling. <laughs> yeah. So William Shin, he became the new president, replacing Max Becker um, for the ASCE in January 1890, and he gave the investigation report to former president Max Becker. So he was like, I'm replacing you but I'm giving you this report and um, I'll let you decide what you want to do with it. If you want to release it to the public, if you want to keep it, it's up to you, but here you go, take the report. So Becker kept it under wraps until the next convention in 1891, where the long awaited report was presented at that meeting and it was finally published two years later. So two years after the disaster, this report was finally made available and it was presented by james francis so the the leader of the committee and he told the other three members like of this committee that investigated it like i'm going to present our findings it's been long enough people are wondering we said we wouldn't release any info unless we were pressed and we are being pressed yeah so be there or don't but i'm doing it and none of the other investigating members of that committee showed up they were like fuck that i don't want to be there <laughs> i know <laughs> so uh james francis was like okay i'm alone so in the final report the committee concluded the dam would have failed even if it had been maintained within the original design specifications so they said that there's problems with the embankment crest and the just discharge pipes at the, the dam's base and these would have failed regardless it maybe failed sooner because of the heavy rainfall but it was mm -hmm. a bad dam anyway this claim has since been challenged though um, a hydraulic analysis published in 2016 confirmed that the changes made to the dam by the south fork club severely reduced its ability to Whoa. withstand major thorn yeah depth definitely and even if it was faulty when it was like the construction then it kind of puts even more responsibility on the government because not only did they have this dam they sold it then as a piece of like mm -hmm. oh it's it's this is already gonna fail one day you guys aren't gonna know what you're doing really but here we'll you let go you, like it still is like you know i know that it's the responsibility lies where it lies it shouldn't have been it should have been sold off to the commonwealth like it was mm -hmm. and just kept or totally dismantled or sealed off or renewed a new one's mm -hmm. made anything other than just passing the buck on to like private investors like it's just yeah. insane so yeah they're like oh would have failed anyway but this since it was challenged these new like reports are like no they made changes to it they lowered the walls mm -hmm. by as much as three feet they never replaced those discharge pipes and those valves at the base like it's this is a huge reason that it yeah. failed and this more recent analysis says those decisions were fatal errors and cut the dam's ability to safely hold and dispel the water in half this 2016 report is backed up by the original topographic data of the dam and reports conducted over the years by various engineers. Mm -hmm. So people have always been fascinated by this, just how catastrophic it was, how intense it was. Mm -hmm. So they've always um, just kind of came back to it over the years. And, and it, it does seem preventable. Yeah. 
it's like even hearing about it at first like how could something like this happen something went wrong someone dropped the ball or many people dropped the ball and it led to this mm -hmm. so it's I, it is intriguing you just want to know like how did this happen obviously there's like a domino effect here and yeah people want to know how how it got this far and like let's make sure it doesn't ever get this far again yeah i agree it was totally a domino effect of it just <sighs> being mishandled over and over again and passing it on to the next person and passing it on to the next person and being like it's not our problem it's not our problem we're like we've had scares before and it won't this isn't any different yeah and mm, i don't know about that i know meanwhile all these other analysis that have been done through history are like dude it's because of the modifications that were made like you lowered yeah how walls. can you dispute like oh it would have happened anyway okay like let's say it would have happened that just makes it even worse but like <laughs> how can you like obviously that would have accelerated it if you have a dam that already is bound to fail and then you're dismantling it taking pieces out like that's how is that gonna make it better or like how does that not affect it at all it's going to make it worse then of course you can't, like i can't believe they would even try to kind of cop out and be like oh no anyway. it already like okay then you should have been that much more on the ball with this and at the end of the day this is a committee of of engineers mm -hmm. so people the people who were at the resort at the club the south forks club there are other engineers. There are other wealthy business associates. Yeah. So you, I wonder if these people who were part of this committee to assess the damage, if they were like sort of compelled or inclined to say that it was going to happen no matter what, mm -hmm. because then it doesn't put the blame on like their friends and their business associates. That's so true. And especially back then when those connections would be that much more valuable. Mm -hmm. It's not like, yeah, things have not evolved as far as they have today, where you can kind of have all these different connections of all kinds mm -hmm. in all different places. Your community and like where you are is very, very important. Yes. So they, those people would not want to upset that and lose their spot at the country club exactly. or whatever if they were like rubbing noses, whatever that saying is with people. Rubbing elbows? Yes, that's it. Yeah, rubbing noses. What is, well, I think it is weird. rubbing elbows with people, yeah. And and then to think about how they had released their statement saying, um, we don't really want to talk about it because we don't want to face any sort of like litigation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why would you be worried about facing litigation if you're just the committee assigned to figuring out what happened? Maybe you yourself as the committee isn't worried about facing litigation. Maybe it's because you have these business partners or associates involved with buying the dam and yeah. modifying it and you don't want them to face litigation you're all connected because mm -hmm. you're all in the same industry and you're all associates so it's just it's just money money and status they get to trump over the fact that a fucking dam broke and killed 2200 people yeah that's not fair disaster some survivors blamed the members of the south fork club for their modifications to the dam they were accused of failing to maintain the dam properly so that it was um, unable to contain the additional water of the unusually heavy rainfall they're like it's your fault it's your fault you fucked up the dam 
and you killed people here. The club was successfully defended in court by the firm Knox and Reed, whose partners Philander Knox and James Hay Reed were both club members. Of course. Knox and Reed successfully argued that the dam's failure was a natural disaster, therefore an act of God, which convinced the courts and no legal compensation was paid to the survivors of the flood. That must have been a good lawyer. That was like, look, no one could have prepared for this incident. It's so, this rainfall, no matter if it was a great, fabulous dam that they never touched, this would have happened. Mm -hmm. Like, That's pretty much what the lawyers were saying. It's an act of God. He couldn't have done anything about it. And the courts were like, oh, all right, all right. That makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) And the club has never held, was like never ever held legally responsible for the disaster and not even sorry no they're not sorry because their their club was probably fine they probably flooded a bit in the area but then it all released downhill yeah so they probably were like oops we have a little bit of cleanup to do but like we still have our resort mm-hmm. the perceived injustice uh aided the acceptance in later cases of quote strict joint and sev- several liability is that supposed to be severe Probably. Um, I got, you know, happy fingers sometimes when I'm in a mode. Severely. (laughs) So that even a non-negligent defendant could be held liable for damage caused by the unnatural use of land. So this being successfully defended in court, saying like, you're, these people aren't responsible because it was an act of God, led to like sort of an outrage where it was later in court you couldn't just lean on it it was an act of god and we're not responsible yeah um even if it was technically an act of god you know like your the riverbeds overflowed if there was somebody that you could attribute to it so like let's say the construction company that was modifying the riverbeds to build homes on it yeah even though a quote-unquote act of god happened where it flooded you still willingly built a house there knowing that this is a high flood area so it sort of allowed for that to not be an excuse anymore you can't say it's act of god Mm -hmm. like there's there's limitations on saying that so that was sort of a you know maybe gemini new moon realization (laughs) afterwards stop saying it was an act of god you're still responsible i don't like that people can say that because it's just not fair no it's like that, like, I'm pretty sure it's like that with chipped windshields, like with a rental car. They'll oh. call it like an act of God. Like, oh, there's Ew. nothing you can do about it. There's one thing that's so stupid. And it's like, how are they allowed to do that? And they'll make you pay for it. Because no, it, well, it can't God. be, it's not covered. <laughs> for real. An act of God. Yeah, it's just, let's get rid of that. Call it something else or something. I don't know. It's just a copy. It's it just, feels. it is. It's a way for the company to just get out of it and be like, well, it's, we're not responsible. And it's like, hey, but that person isn't responsible either. Mm-hmm. They had to deal with all the consequences of that because of something like that you also did and are part of. Like, how could you just shove it all off? And then and get nothing like, out of it. You should yeah. be fine if it's an act of God and no one could have seen it coming. Then there should be some sort of like reserve funds or insurance pool or something where it's like hey we did investigate this it is an act of god we'll pull from this other yeah. resource like it should it shouldn't just be like well sorry it's just not fair 
So despite the club winning in court, that they weren't responsible for anything because it was an act of God, <laughs> um, about half of the members of the club, who were all millionaires, remember, they're fucking rich, they, they contributed to the recovery and rebuilding efforts in Johnstown out of their own pocket. They were like, sorry, all of you survivors don't get money from us, but like, we'll still come down there and help. So the co-founder of the club, Henry Clay Frick, who I did mention earlier, he was the one who led the group of speculators to purchase and then eventually modify the dam. Mm. He, he went down there. Um, so did other members. They all donated thousands of dollars to the relief effort. This guy named Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie. He's a very rich businessman in the area. Like Carnegie Hall. Carnegie. Yeah. C-A-R-N-E-G-I-E. Hmm. Andrew Carnegie, he um, built the town a new library. And it, it, it was um, named something very original. The Carnegie Library. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll build Thanks, you a library, man. but you've got to name it after me. Yeah, really. Even though the club members won the lawsuit and still paid to fix up Johnstown, people were pissed. Um, they had money. Yeah, they were like, Thank you, I guess, for coming down here and helping rebuild. But, like, that helps the town. I'm still fucked. I still don't have a house. Uh, my family's dead. I don't have a job anymore. Yeah. I have nothing to my name. So, like, I'm upset. Um, people, you know, took out their anger in the form of poems. So, you know <laughs> I'm about to read you another poem. Oh, my God. No way. It's not that long. It's not as long as Robert Raymond Cook's. How, how is there another poem here? <laughs> I don't know. So this was written by Isaac G. Reed, and that it sort of like encapsulates the general emotions of those affected by the flood. Many thousand human lives, butchered husbands, slaughtered wives, mangled daughters, bleeding sons, hosts of martyred little ones. Worse than Herod's awful crime, sent to heaven before their time, lovers burnt and sweethearts drowned, darlings lost but never found, all the horrors that hell could wish such was the price that was paid for fish is that it yep wow that's a poem from the great isaac g reed he didn't very, know very what upset. to he didn't know what to rhyme with wish so he just hit fish he was like i know that there was that fish. net that was not <clears throat> you know that wire yeah. that was there that you guys wanted to catch fish in <laughs> this poem paints it it's a it's graphic. Yeah. This is a very Mars heavy. It's just very poem. graphic. It's not like Robert and Raymond Cooks where you could like laugh at it because it's just him pitying himself and he's like I know being a loser. Yeah, this you one know, is like Doctor Seuss poem. This one's like pain, so like from the soul about dead bodies, slaughtered like, wives. Yes, that was just burning an people. Example of one of the poems and wow. feelings people had. Yeah, they also expressed it in different ways, like. A lot of drawings. I bet. A lot of oh, no. graphic drawings that were put in papers and stuff. Renditions of what people saw. Yeah. yeah that's so traumatic. I gotta process it somehow. Some yeah. people write poems. Mm -hmm. For like, sure. You know, it was almost cancer season. People were channeling that creativity. Yeah, they had a head start on things. Survivors kept attempting to recover damages from the dam's owners in court in their eyes, 
it like I was saying, it was like fine and dandy. They'd come down and they had help restore the town, but like most people were left completely destitute. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to start their lives completely over, like literally from scratch, especially if they didn't even have a family anymore. So even though they kept taking them to court, they failed each time, suffering legal defeats over and over again. And it was, it's just simply because the people at the South Fork Club were full of resources. They're millionaires. Yeah. They had all the best connections. And you're going to success, successfully defend yourself against people with, that are destitute. First, the wealthy club owners had designed the club's financial structure to keep their personal assets separated from it. So it was all these rich men that made the club. Mm-hmm. But they made sure to do it smart. So that if something happened, they couldn't be brought down with it. Yeah, of course. And then secondly, it was uh, difficult for any suit to prove that any particular owner had behaved negligently. So though the former, though the former reason was probably more central to the failure of survivor suits against the club, because, you know, it's hard to fight against people who are prestigious with money. And then the latter received coverage and extensive criticism in the national press. So because that nobody could be pinned for negligence, the criticism was widely picked up and it actually led American law to change from a fault-based regime to one of strict liability. That, yeah, okay. That's really cool that that happened mm-hmm. because of this. I can see there being huge, like the consequences for this. There had to be something that yes. sit, like set a new tone. And it had, and it, it was just all like the theme of the story of a domino effect and like mm-hmm. a, just a snowball going. Um, the survivors having to keep going to court and keep going and keep yeah. going and keep going and fighting and fighting. And it was finally like, no, we need a law to, to put in place. Responsibility needs to be put on the right people. And also and also to protect the, the, the victims who are just going to mm-hmm. keep trying to fight. So Well, it's not you did not like people want to build a resort on a piece of land. OK, fine. If, if you get the rights and you have all the money, like, I guess people can't stop you, but you can't just, like, do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, that liability. Like, yes. That you have to have someone who's responsible for the land then mm-hmm. and for what happens on it. Exactly. Like, and thankfully that came out of it. So now, now this law is, like, listen, you can't just be like, oops, it was an accident. Yeah. And then nothing happens. Like, you have to be held accountable in some way. Mm-hmm. So at least, you know, it's nice that that came out of it. But, I mean, it didn't do shit for, like, the survivors. And the no, victims. I feel so bad for the people that lost everything. Ev- some of them lost everything. Some of their house was completely yeah. taken away. Their entire family was killed. They just destitute is just the only word. It's just destitute. You have nothing. That's why you're fighting so hard to try and get anything from these millionaire assholes who fucked you in the first place. Yeah. It is just so devastating. Like I said, thank God there's the law now, but it doesn't help any of these people. No. So it's just, like... They were sadly like some sort of like guinea pigs almost like, oh, like, well, this was the most fucked up thing that's ever happened around here. I guess thanks for re- letting us realize how shit it was and now we'll fix it. But those people are just sitting But there, there's like, no apology. There's no, no responsibility. No. There's no, it's just really sad that this Act is like, God, what a learning, like, what is, yeah, what a thing to happen to make change. It's it's sad that that's often how it goes. Like, something horrible happens, and then people are like, oh, we have to do something about this. Because just no one thought about it first. Mm-mm. Even though it's, like, 
And just not wanting the responsibility. Yeah. We're done with this dam. We're using um, railways now. It'll sell it to this fucking Joe Blow who's just going to fuck with it anyway. Yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's rough. It's all of the above. have continued to be a concern for Johnstown, which had major flooding in 1894, 1907, 1924, 1936, and 1977. <laughs> the biggest flood of the first half of the 20th century was the St. Patrick's Day flood of chaos this area yeah flooding. it's not a very good spot to be no it isn't they've seemed to manage it now or has the terrain just changed think that they fought back so hard <laughs> land to like the river just has finally redirected i hope they have the made, structure to i yes i hope they've made infrastructure changes as well as you know maybe it's flooded so many times that it's like widened the area For real. i really don't know but no major flooding since 1977 but, I mean, there was a gap from 36 to 77. Yep. So, mm-hmm. it's really... It's been about 50 years now. <laughs> it could be coming. You never know. <laughs> we're not just... We're not going with that it doesn't. Sorry, Johnstown. People there listening. They're like, what? <laughs> Fuck no! <laughs> we don't want it. So, following that, the Great Flood, the one in St. Patrick's Day, the 1936 flood, the United States Army Corps of Engineers dredged the Connemaw River within the city and built concrete river walls, creating a channel nearly 20 feet deep. And they proclaimed the city flood-free. We know it wasn't, because then it flooded again in 1977. The new river walls withstood Hurricane Agnes in 1972, but on the night of July 19th, 1977, a severe thunderstorm dropped 11 inches of rain in eight hours. Oh, wow. On the watershed above the city... And then the, the river began to rise. Mm-hmm. By dawn, the city was underwater that re- reached. By dawn, the city was underwater that reached as high as eight feet. Seven counties were declared a disaster area, suffering $200 million in property damage, and 78 people died. 40 were killed by the Laurel Run Dam failure. Another 50,000 were rendered homeless as a result of this 100 year flood. So that was a very condensed brief way of saying that it's um known as flood city yeah it's definitely not a good sp- good place to settle especially the way you described it like if it's at the bottom of a gorge pretty much yeah like it's maybe state. they should just leave it be we don't have to populate every place that we find we can leave it alone we can decide it's not livable <laughs> yeah like clearly like 1894, 07, 24, 36, 77, withstood a 72, 1972 hurricane. Like, dudes, get the, the memo. At Park Point in Johnstown, where the Stony Creek and Little Conemaw Rivers merge, so that, um, like, junction I had talked about, an eternal flame burns in memory of all of the flood victims. The Carnegie Library doubles as the Johnstown Flood Museum and is operated by the Johnstown Area Heritage Association. Hmm. Not surprising they have a flood museum, because there's so many floods. Yeah. Portions of the stone bridge have been made part of the Johnstown Flood National Memorial. 
established in 1969 and managed by the National Park Service. So the stone bridge is that huge one in Jones in Johnstown that acted as that dam that um, caught fire and caused a back wave and then another oh wave God. and then more waves. So they were like, we'll just use parts of this for the memorial. In 2008, the bridge was restored in a project including new lighting as part of a commemor- commemorative activities related to the flood. So they do like some sort of like banquet or like some sort of like relief fundraiser type deal just in honor of all of the floods and they're really bracing their history. Yeah, for real. They're very resilient and they're like, mm-hmm. we just live alongside the flood. So the flood is, it's, it's us now. Yeah, it's we ours. Are, we are the flood. Like, it's interesting. There's also like just a fuck ton of movies, shows, books, poems, theater productions, everything um, written that's been inspired or based on the floods. And then I already told you about how it has the moniker Flood City. Because, yeah. Know, floods. That's the Johnstown Flood. It's intense. It was intense. It was a ride. Just a wild, wild ride. Do you have any other, like, interesting things you wanted to point out or mention before I, I go on to our August schedule? No, I think I got it all in there. Crazy all of the connections, though. I will never get past the barbed wire. It is so upsetting. Mm-hmm. It's quite disturbing. Like, all of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, for our August schedule, I'm pretty confident with this. All right, so... Oh, I forget what it was. Was it May that had five Mondays? Or was it April? I think it was May that had five Mondays. May. Well, August has five Mondays as well. Wow. So maybe you should change the day. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one, August 1st, will be the survival story of Danelle Belenji, which is, um, Steph, I'll be recording with you. That's the one I was going to, that I had told you about, where you'll be able to compare maybe two charts, mm-hmm. the events and her birth chart. On Monday, August 8th, it'll be the Springford murders. On the 15th, Bruce George Peter Lee. He's a British serial, serial killer. <laughs> a British serial killer. August 22nd, the murder of Betty Shanks. That is an Australian one. I've been to Australia since Tom and Eileen Lonergan. Mm-hmm. And then the last Monday, the 29th, will be another cryptid. And Paige will be back. And I'm going to make her talk about Mothman. Oh, yay. <laughs> Mothman. <laughs> so that's the schedule. Five episodes. You're all lucky. We're switching it up a bit. We have a survival story, some murders, a serial killer. And a cryptid. Mm-hmm. You know? August will be jam-packed. That's exciting. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode on the Great Flood of 1889. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. Rate the show five stars. Leave us a positive review. All of that stuff, please, because it helps us grow and get discovered. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And visit our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca, where you can buy... A beautiful patch. You're beautiful. I ironed one on my purse. I love it. Please support us. Thank you. Tune in next week when Steph joins me for a harrowing survival story of Danelle Valenji. Looking forward to it. Ooh.
We'll catch you on the dark side. And reaching a height. Coffee. Get <laughs> get it open. <laughs> Maybe you need a bowl. In the background, you just hear. <laughs> there are kettle chips, so they're like so fucking crunchy. Oh, you got dip too. All right. Go eat in there. <laughs> we don't want you out here eating. You can't sit with us. <laughs> I'm sweaty. I'm sweaty.